Hello, and welcome to the Women's Mind Body Health Podcast. On today's episode, we are talking insulin resistance. Now, you may not know much about this, I didn't before we started, but as you'll find out, it's incredibly important to take note of and understand as it can affect nearly every part of your body. Today's episode is especially important for you if you've really struggled losing weight and don't understand why you can't, or if you've had gestational diabetes, PCOS, cardiovascular issues, metabolic syndrome, prediabetes, or have type 2 diabetes. My name is April Wright and I'm here learning from Kim Connolly, the dietitian down under. We've got a lot to cover in this episode, so let's get right into it. Okay, so today we are talking about insulin and insulin is something I really haven't paid attention to in my life. Um, I just thought it's really for people who have diabetes, really the main issue. But Kim has um, alerted me to the existence of insulin in my body and its importance. So she is going to talk about what that is and um, why it's important for us to pay attention to really. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. All right. So last podcast, we were talking about uh, the different diets and which episode four, episode four. Yes, indeed. Uh, So we were talking about the different diets and what, that study by Gardner identified was that some women have trouble losing weight on the standard dietary advice because uh, they are insulin resistant. That was what was identified as being a major factor in why they were not losing weight. So the idea of that is to expand on that a little bit and have a look at this phenomenon of insulin resistance but also what is insulin and why why is that important and why should I even t- pay any attention to this podcast. So um, I've used a couple of resources in order to um, discuss this, but one that I really enjoyed was a, um, another YouTube um, presentation uh, which is on the Biohackers Lab and the, the link to that presentation will be available to you. But it was a conversation with Dr. Benjamin Bickman, who is a scientist that specializes in metabolic disorders and has a particular interest in insulin and has presented um, some really fascinating information over the last couple of years in um, conferences in the lower carb communities um, and some really interesting um, studies that they've been doing um, as well around insulin so it was it's great to have a listen to what he has to say but I've summarized a lot of that in this sort of discussion around insulin to make it uh, a little bit more absorbable I hope so firstly let's talk about what insulin is it's a it's a hormone produced out of the pancreas in the body by most people the only the people that don't produce insulin uh, from the pancreas are those with type 1 diabetes so um, diabetes being an elevation in your blood sugar that's that's our definition of diabetes is an elevated blood sugar level above normal and for someone who has type 1 diabetes that happens because insulin is not being produced adequately by the pancreas in order to control glucose and that's a really important 
aspect of this in that insulin controls your blood sugar level. It's the hormone that's secreted when blood sugar levels start to elevate uh, after eating or indeed for any reason, uh, in, <clears throat> excuse me, insulin will increase. Can I just ask here? Yeah. So why are blood sugar levels important? Yeah, great question. Um, so blood glucose is controlled within a very narrow range in, in um, human physiology because if glucose elevates above and remains above um, a healthy level, okay. then the brain can go into a coma and you can die. So oh, it's, okay. it's very important. Yes. And, and as a consequence, insulin is a very important hormone. Um, it's a protein-based hormone as distinct from a fat-based hormone and as I said it's produced out of the pancreas and it's produced when blood sugar levels start to rise after you eat some food that breaks down into sugar. So generally we have about one to one and a half teaspoons of sugar circulating in our system um, and that equates to a a blood sugar level of around excuse me around 5.5 millimolars um, per liter which is what we talk in in australia or around 100 milligrams per deciliter which is what what the u.s uses so it's the equivalent of around one teaspoon of sugar and when you think about um, one to one and a half teaspoons when you think about what you're eating Mm -hmm. um, for example a, a one slice of white bread will break down to around about three teaspoons of sugar so if yeah. you're if you didn't rapidly remove that sugar out of your system after you ate that mm-hmm. one slice of bread then you would be diabetic because your blood sugar would be above normal okay so insulin works very quickly to keep sugar in the normal range so really important hormone um, with type 2 diabetes mm-hmm. uh, it's distinct from type 1 so in type 1 you're your pancreas can't produce the insulin and that's a that's a function of your immune system attacking the pancreas cells that produce insulin and damaging them so that they can no longer produce the adequate amount of insulin okay um type 2 diabetes we similarly get Um, damage to those cells but it's a different mechanism and part of it is the loss of insulin production out of those cells but part of it is the cells aren't listening either to the response of insulin so it's a it's a a slightly well it's a very different mechanism but it results in high higher than normal blood sugars too so what um Dr. Bickman was talking about in that discussion was looking at obesity um, in a different way um, based on the insulin response because insulin is a hormone that says to the body okay when you eat something this is what I want you to do with that food and if you think of hormone the hormone insulin generally as being a growth hormone or a building up sort of hormone rather than a breaking down and releasing hormone Mm -hmm. basically it's telling the system to store whatever you've just consumed and the biggest storage sites for our glucose are our muscle Mm -hmm. and our fat and when you think of the human body that is predominantly what we are muscle and fat so we've got these big sinks if you like for glucose and the appropriate response is you eat something and it elevates your blood sugar levels and that stimu- that maximally stimulates insulin. Insulin responds very rapidly to glucose in the blood, okay. um, more so than 
those other things we talked about in an earlier podcast being the fatty acids from mm-hmm. fats or the protein, the amino acid from protein. So glucose is a very big stimulus for the secretion of insulin. And the role of that insulin is then to say, okay, take, take whatever food you've just consumed mm-hmm. and store it away. So okay. we're going to store it in the muscle if it's um, glucose, either as glucose or it's storage form glycogen, or we're going to store it in fat tissue. So um, we're going to convert that glucose into fat for storage in the fat tissue. Okay. So that's what insulin's telling the system to do, and it's got a it's got a counter hormone called glucagon, which does the opposite. So when you're when you haven't had anything to eat and you're fasted, yeah. it raises relative to insulin, and it says right, well get some of that food out I, I need it so that we've got some some energy for fuel consistently throughout the body so these two work in concert um, and uh, we we just want to go on to sort of talk about well why is this a problem because that's an that's a natural process right um, and when does it become a problem and what you know do I have a problem should I be aware yeah. of this um, and I think what we're sort of looking at is, well, there were a group of women in that study who did have a problem. They had a problem with insulin because they were insulin resistant. And that presented as this difficulty with weight loss under certain circumstances. So there's obviously a model that works better if you're more insulin resistant when it comes to weight loss. And we're trying to tease that out. And it has something to do with this insulin hormone and what it's doing in the body. And do I remember right, in that study, people had the same BMI, same weight, but some people were insulin resistant and yes. some people weren't. So it doesn't matter what weight you are. No. You, you may or may not be. That's right. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really important point because it speaks of your diabetes risk. So insulin resistance... Um, can be described as insulin not behaving properly at the cell receptor site. So whatever insulin is meant to do in that, as a function in that particular cell, it's not doing it appropriately. Um, and that's important because um, the very first time I heard Ben Bickman talk about this, he was describing how he was going to boldly say that he didn't know of a single cell in the human body that didn't have an insulin receptor. Now, the receptor's the same. What's different is the type of cell that it's on and how it behaves when insulin is present. So insulin, um, when it binds to the receptor on a muscle cell, behaves differently to insulin when it binds to a receptor on a fat cell. Um, So it depends on the type of cell as to the response that you get. So insulin resistance can manifest in very many ways depending oh, right. on the cell response so if if a cell stops behaving appropriately to that response then mm. you get some form of uh, some form of different response i'm loath to say it's always a pathological response meaning mm. it's a response that causes disease because that's not always the case because insulin resistance is itself a natural Response. So women experience insulin resistance during puberty. Well, in fact, boys do as well, but mm-hmm. but women do um, in order to grow. So mm-hmm. you have to become insulin resistant to a degree so that you can store a bit of body fat so that you can um, grow 
have that growth spurt so you'll see it around puberty where the growth spurts happen women become insulin resistant naturally in pregnancy because you want to store more body fat in order to feed a growing fetus women become more insulin resistant during and postmenopausally as well and indeed as we age there's a level of increased insulin resistance so the cells not responding the same as a 50 or 60 year old as it was as a 15 year old so it's not um it's not itself a, a pathological process but it is if it's always on and that's the difference so if you become chronically insulin resistant which Mm -hmm. is what you have when you have type 2 diabetes then that's a problem Um, so it's a natural state but the issue is well what's turning it on and keeping it on and that's the big issue and that's what we were looking at in uh, sorry they were looking at in that study Um, after the study was done they went oh hold on a minute who's failing to lose weight in the normal advice and right right, they're they're more insulin resistant than people who are not Mm. um, who are okay to lose weight using that model so insulin resistance is something we are not very aware of until it presents as type 2 diabetes and that is probably the biggest um, issue and um, it's something that hopefully we will become a lot more aware of because insulin is there as a problem long before glucose becomes a problem. Right. Yeah, and I'd never even heard of it before I'd met you. <laughs> no, so, no, and I yeah. guess it's sort of evolved in my own consciousness out of really trying to understand this this problem with diabetes and what's going wrong and how do you control it and what's the best method of, of repairing a system that is broken. Um, and, yeah, and I guess um, Benjamin Bickman sums it up well when he says we're chasing glucose but glucose isn't the first problem insulin's your first problem because if you've got a lot of insulin in order to control the glucose then that's going to potentially go on for many years decades before Mm. your glucose is out of control the big thing is insulin controls glucose and it depends on how much insulin you're producing after every meal high in carbohydrate that you eat Mm -hmm. as to what that insulin responses and I guess that's what what I want to sort of talk a little bit about now is that insulin high levels of insulin itself Mm -hmm. are probably part of the driving process of insulin resistance so when the when the insulin receptor is not responding appropriately you if you continue to eat carbohydrate and produce glucose you can't let glucose elevate because number one, you'd be diabetic straight away and number two, you run the risk of damaging the brain and creating death. Mm. So the system needs to remove that glucose somehow and if the cell is no longer responding and taking the insulin in as it should do, Mm. then the natural response to that is not to let glucose get high in the blood but to do something about it. And what happens is that the pancreas secretes more insulin. And so it's trying to overcome the problem at the receptor site. So it's Mm -hmm. going to um, produce what we call hyperinsulinemia, at least temporarily, meaning you've got hyper more than Mm -hmm. you would normally see of insulin. Um, And if you are not in those states of growth, then um, that can happen 
for a little while, but if it happens all the time, every time you eat, you have this problem with disposing of this glucose adequately in order to not be diabetic, Mm -hmm. then the pancreas has to keep responding and it has to keep producing insulin. And the more insulin you produce, then the less the cells respond. So the higher levels of insulin are also potentially driving the insulin resistance. So basically it's like crying wolf. If you keep pumping out all this insulin, we're Mm -hmm. going to be less receptive. Um, And so you get this negative feedback where you are eating something that produces glucose. The glucose is not being removed in a timely fashion as it should be Mm -hmm. into the cell, the big sinks we have of muscle and fat tissue. Mm -hmm. Um, And... As a result, the the cells are becoming less responsive to that signal to remove and so the pancreas starts to try and recover this situation and produce more insulin mm-hmm. and then you have this flooding of insulin in the system. And if you look for it, you can find it. And I guess that's, that's really where I have come to in terms of what I'm looking at in in people that I suspect are insulin resistant, mm-hmm. I go, well, you know what? If you're insulin resistant, you're probably hyperinsulinemic as well. And that high level of insulin circulating far more often than it should mm-hmm. has its own disease risk. And that's really what I wanted to sort of explore a bit now, both, well, what is the problem if you run insulin high all the time? And how do I know if it's me? So those are the two things we'll go on to talk about. So in summary of that first bit, if you eat eat foods that produce glucose, you need to respond with insulin. If insulin is not behaving the way it should at the cell site, you're probably going to produce more insulin in order to overcome that block. And that itself is what Ben Bickman was talking about when he said, we're chasing glucose, but we're ignoring insulin. And that's not a wise move. And which, the foods that are producing the glucose, so the starting point. Yeah, so the starting are point are the those carbohydrate foods, okay. so the, the starches and the sugars. Yeah. And that is, you know, what, what we were seeing in those studies was that those people, those women who were insulin resistant did much better on the Atkins style diet where there was a lot less right. starch and sugar, okay. um, dramatically less starch and sugar. Right. So... Um, yeah, if we're talking about hyperinsulinemia now or high insulin levels and indeed talking about its its twin, insulin resistance, then we're looking at the effect of high insulin levels on different systems in the body. And there, when we said that potentially every cell in the body has an insulin receptor, right. there's potentially a lot of problems you can right. have if you run insulin high for longer than is normal. And by longer than is normal... Um, Uh, One of the tests that I like to encourage um, my clients to have done through their GP is is to have a a glucose tolerance test done. So what that is, if you've you've ever um, been through a pregnancy in latter years, the glucose tolerance test is done around week 24. Oh, right. I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's it's drinking. It's a challenge. We call it the oral glucose tolerance test. It's a challenge of... 75 grams of liquid glucose in a little cup 
normally, which you have to drink. Um, so your blood blood sugar level is measured before you drink it, yeah. and then you drink it, and we wait an hour to see what's your what's your blood sugar or glucose level after an hour, mm-hmm. and then we measure again at two hours, okay. because the normal response is that insulin controls that glucose mm-hmm. so that it surges at the same time as the blood sugar surges. So at about half an hour, you've got glucose um, probably reaching its peak between half an hour and an hour. And then by two hours, glucose has been moved out of the blood and into the cells safely. And what does that? Insulin does that. So what we don't measure in the glucose tolerance test is the insulin you are secreting in order to control that glucose level. And so if you're insulin resistant, then it's going to be higher than it would be in someone who is insulin sensitive. And how long it stays high and how high it goes are interesting. Um, And so I've had this test done when I've suspected people are insulin resistant and I've and I've asked for not just the glucose but the insulin and this is something that can be done you can do a glucose tolerance test with glucose and insulin Mm -hmm. so you can see how much insulin is being poured into the system in order to control glucose and if it's abnormally high Mm -hmm. you've got a problem Um, and um, I I guess the issue is that we just don't measure that we don't see how much insulin's being pumped into the system and like I said it comes with its own its own risk factors number one being if your insulin's higher than normal what insulin tells the body to do is not burn fat Mm -hmm. so if you've if we've done a a glucose tolerance test and and at an hour um, we see glucose is high but insulin's two or three times higher than it should be yeah um, then we're going to get some symptoms from that eventually Um, at two hours we can see whether it's still climbing or whether it's actually high but coming down Mm -hmm. and that's only at two hours so if we've got an insulin that's high at two hours that's two hours after you've eaten it's still got to get back to normal level so we want to see how long potentially it takes to get back to normal it could be up to five hours Mm. so for a whole five hour period you could have this higher than normal insulin level which should be back to normal in an hour that's when it it should be climbing back down so it parallels glucose. So as glucose goes up, insulin goes up mm-hmm. and it surges and it should come down again. Mm-hmm. And so when I suspect insulin resistance, I, I want to, if I can, quantify that. And I want to have a look and see if if I was correct in that the insulin is elevated. And if it's elevated at two hours, it's probably still going to be high at three, although we don't measure it. Yeah. And at some point it's got to come down. So if you think about the way that we eat of a pattern of eating, mm-hmm. we might eat every three or four hours. Right. Someone who's insulin resistant may not have recovered their insulin levels after eating previously mm-hmm. and then they just top it up four hours later, um, maybe even less. Yeah. So we really we, – we'd like to know that it's there if it's there. Um, and I'm going to give you some ideas now of, of how to recognise whether that is a problem or not. And like I said, if I'm suspecting it, Ideally, I'd like to do that test because yeah. that's going to tell me exactly what what I what I need to know. Mm-hmm. Do I have to do something because insulin's high? Um, but it's hard to get that test done because it's not a recommended test because we're not looking for insulin. We're only looking for glucose. Okay. And the issue is that that insulin can be running at that capacity for 10 to 20 years before you have diabetes. Wow. So this is a this is a long 
and it's probably progressing in that time and you might start to see some features of insulin resistance um, and these features are what we call metabolic syndrome. So these are a, a group of signals that mm. indicate that insulin's probably running high because these are what what's going to happen if insulin does run high and we're going to put those on the on our website as well so right. that you can come back but I'm just going to speak of them now so if insulin's high you can um, measure and these are blood tests that you can measure or an ordinary tests that you would you would do with your um, general physician your doctor and they are indicative of insulin resistance being there. They're not the only thing, but there there are these features called metabolic syndrome. Okay. And metabolic syndrome are five distinct symptom signs that um, if you have three out of five, then you have a diagnosis of metabolic syndrome. So the first one is a very common one, and that is abdominal weight gain. So if you're body weight for women is above um, now we looked this up April so yeah. it was because it does vary yeah. the classification of waist circumference varies a lot between um, ethnicity and different populations so we we say above 88 if you are European or Northern American yeah, centimeters centimeters yeah. yes and um, if you are anybody other than that, women mm-hmm. this is when women then it's above 80 centimeters right. is a, is one of the risk factors um, if you have high blood pressure that is another risk factor and that's classified as 130 over 85 mm-hmm. um, which uh, you know if you're going to the doctor regularly they're going to be monitoring your blood pressure and, and and potentially saying oh your blood pressure's starting to go up we want to keep an eye on that yeah um, and that's that's a that's a sign that potentially you're insulin resistant these other two um, tests are done when you do your cholesterol testing so excuse me when I when I consult with people I really um, like to have these tests done so that I I know whether there's a risk factor here Mm. so they are your triglyceride and your good cholesterol hdlc so hdl cholesterol which is often referred to as the good cholesterol so those two features if your triglycerides are above Mm 1.7 then that's a risk factor and in um, u.s values that's above um, 150 milligrams per deciliter Um, and these are all tests that we can that are routinely done the good cholesterol we want above 1.3 millimolars if it's women and uh, in American or US terms that is um, greater than 50 milligrams per deciliter so in men it's a little bit lower but in women we want it above 1.3 so adequate HDLC which Mm -hmm. is stands for high density lipoprotein cholesterol so it's a often referred to as I said as good cholesterol triglycerides are a circulating blood fat and triglycerides elevate in the situation of insulin resistance because um, we think partly because that glucose you've got to store it as fat Mm -hmm. it can't leave it in the system so if it's not being put into the cell adequately um, a a safe response is to convert it into triglyceride and store it as fat in the fat cells 
And when we see this starting to spill out in the bloodstream, we suspect insulin resistance too. So we've got those five features. Oh, I'm sorry, the last one is your your blood sugar levels when you're fasted start to rise. So if we're starting to see the glucose not being put away adequately, we'll see it in a fasting level. So um, that's why we do, part of the reason we do fasting tests is to have a look at what's going when you're on when you're not eating. Mm-hmm. So if that bit of glucose is hanging around in the bloodstream, not enough yet to be diabetic, but enough yeah. to be a flag then that's another sign of this metabolic syndrome so those five things again are you're starting to put on weight abdominally because that's where a lot of our insulin receptors are around our fat cells so the apple shape that's the apple shape rather than the pear so around your waist not around your hips we are starting to see these changes in your blood lipids so that's your cholesterol pathology meaning that your triglycerides are going up Mm -hmm. um, and your good cholesterol is being suppressed. So they're two features that insulin's getting involved. If you um, ha- start to see a fasting, elevated fasting blood sugar level, mm-hmm. and I would, from my experience, I would say your fasting insulin and your fasting blood sugar are the last things to, to go wrong. So if okay. you're getting to the point where we're starting to see the, see the problem, mm-hmm. this has probably been going on for a while now. All right. And then the last thing is your blood pressure goes up because insulin has a role in um, in salt retention and, and if, you, if you retain more salt because you're producing a lot more insulin and that's what, what insulin's telling the, um, the system to do, then you're going to also retain a lot more fluid and your blood pressure is going to ele- elevate. Mm-hmm. So these are, the, these are the five signs. Any three of those five is a diagnosis of metabolic syndrome and then that suggests insulin resistance is the issue. And if that's the issue, then we want to think differently based on that study and some others about how we try and resolve that. Um, Because weight loss is key to this. If you're losing weight, it probably means that your insulin's dropping because Mm. insulin controls fat storage. And if insulin's dropping and you're starting to release some of that fat out of storage, then that's what we see is this weight loss happening. Um, And as that study showed, insulin-resistant women have trouble losing weight when there's a lot of carbohydrate in the diet, as as is recommended um, for weight loss currently. So we want to have a you know think about that and think about those the the real issue being this high level of insulin yeah um because if we go on to see other features that are so associated with insulin resistance they are indeed type 2 diabetes but mm-hmm. also pre-diabetes so if your doctor says oh you 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 know you're going to go on and get diabetes if you don't fix this yeah um you know that's already a flag that things are metabolically wrong right things are going wrong at that point and insulin's a key player in that but some genetic sort of traits um, as well. So things like um, polycystic ovarian sign, that's a diagnosis of insulin resistance too. Right. So um, uh, whether, whether the insulin is the, the creator of the problem based on the genetics or whether the, yeah, um, yeah we, we still don't completely understand PCOS and, um, you know, is it the chicken or the egg? Is it the high insulin levels? Is it the response of the cells? Um themselves once again you know this this is an area that is really 
actively being researched so we don't have all these answers that we would like to have in okay. order to help women um, with these illnesses. So I think the the big thing that I also look out for when I suspect insulin resistance and if you've got metabolic syndrome, um, or in fact if you've got cardiovascular disease of any sort, so you've had a stroke or a, or a heart attack, then the the um that that's a sign that you should go and look for insulin resistance too and and um the royal australian college of gps um you know when they're looking at these um unusual symptoms for diabetes that Mm. that's one of them if you've got any any cardiovascular disease presenting you want to go and have a look and see if insulin resistance is there meaning that you potentially have you know diabetes or pre-diabetes but probably more important that you have high insulin levels and this is a problem um so maybe if we now looked at what what is the problem if your insulin levels are high and like i said they can be high three four five hours potentially Mm -hmm. after you have eaten something depending on your level of insulin resistance um and there's a great there's some great work done called the craft so Joseph Kraft discovered the insulin assay and that's the you know the test for for looking for insulin and what he did over his lifetime was collect a lot of information about insulin patterns mm. so this glucose tolerance test that I talked about he would do a glucose tolerance test and measure insulin and so he had this data collected from some 15,000 people looking at not just glucose but looking at that their insulin secretion as well and he did this over five hours so he had some really good data over a longer period of time and what he identified were five unique patterns um, around the insulin response one was a normal pattern Um, three of them were dysfunctional meaning that insulin was much higher than it should be according to normal physiology and then there was one pattern where there was no insulin or very little insulin produced maybe suggesting you know failure of the of the pancreas to produce insulin indicating potential type 1 diabetes or other issues so um, what that that huge pile of data um, was analyzed by um, a PhD student from Auckland University Karen Croft and what she produced for her PhD was this paper on hyperinsulinemia this high insulin level mm. and really looking at its at high insulin and its association with various diseases okay. and um, so and this is why insulin if it's high can be a potential problem so because insulin receptors are everywhere in the body they've right. got potential to create problems if they're if insulin remains elevated everywhere in the body and that is indeed what she found so um, we'll put the link to this paper but um, they include neurological effects so um, Alzheimer's um, peripheral neuropathy as well meaning um, nerve damage mm-hmm. um, and we know that nerve damage called neuropathy and retinopathy which are two retinopathy meaning you're affecting the eyes these are two features of diabetes the interesting thing is they occur before glucose gets out of tolerances and that suggests as as um karen and others have highlighted that insulin's your problem insulin's creating that pathological damage because glucose 
at these points are in normal range. So once again, it's that insulin that controls the glucose. So these are things uh, that she identified. So Alzheimer's and other Mm -hmm. dementias because of the, the insulin response in the brain. Peripheral, peripheral neuropathy, meaning the periphery has some sort of nerve damage, so insulin receptors in the nerve t- in the nerve tissue. Um, retinopathy, meaning damage to the eyes. We've got potential relationship with Parkinson's and autism, and other neuropsychiatric disorders. So these are all sort of talked about in that paper. Now, association doesn't mean cause. Yeah. So some of these are, asso- are more association. Um, her collection of um, research and studies. So that doesn't mean that necessarily high insulin causes this, yeah. but it certainly suggests we want to probably go and have a look at um, you know some of these features. Um, gastrointestinal features so we've got type 2 diabetes we've got high triglyceride levels non-alcoholic fatty liver Mm -hmm. disease um, and ulcerative colitis interestingly which is an autoimmune disease high insulin level affecting the endocrine system so chronic inflammation fatty liver again obesity and polycystic ovarian syndrome Various cancers as well, so um, breast, ovarian, colon, bladder, pancreas, liver and prostate, all associated with hyperinsulinemia. Um, And some things that I forgot to mention about the neuropsychiatric, um, tinnitus and vertigo and Meniere's disease as well and periodontal disease. So really, you know, quite a variety of associations. Like I said, doesn't necessarily mean causation, but these are scientific studies that show a relationship Um, and then circulatory so atherosclerosis meaning the damage to the the vascular system cardiomyopathy meaning damage to the heart as well the heart muscle Uh, endothelial dysfunction so that endothelium is the um, set of cells that line the the blood vessel wall the inside of the blood vessel wall and they get damaged and you have to have damage to your endothelial cells um, to put plaque down in heart disease you've got to have damage there first Um, stroke is associated with it dvts and high blood pressure as we mentioned before and then skeletally osteoporosis Um, so there's quite a uh, quite a lot of association or relationship that's a lot that's a lot (laughs) yeah that's right and so um Karen Croft published this um, paper on the unifying uh, hyperinsulinemia, the unifying theory of chronic disease. And why is this? Because insulin's a master controlling hormone. And if it's running high all the time when it's not meant to, it's probably going to have some results in terms of damage in the system. Um, And insulin controls glucose. Mm -hmm. And we get glucose from the food we eat. And so controlling the food you eat when you suspect that this might be an issue is one mechanism you have for seeing if some of these potential symptoms improve and I guess that's where that's why there's an interest in this area now Um, and hopefully a growing interest in insulin itself high levels of insulin itself being an issue to keep an eye out for and just to be aware of um, because once you get your glucose out of control mm-hmm. you're probably a long way into the damage in the system 
Of course, gestational diabetes is another sign that you probably want to have a look at um, what else is happening in the body. And by that, I mean work with your work with your health professionals to look for the the issues of metabolic syndrome, um, to look for symptoms of insulin resistance, and um, I guess the the actionable things you can do here are to get those blood tests done and have a look yourself and keep a copy of them and and watch what happens over time are you you know are you increasing uh you're getting an increasing number of those risk factors Mm. um and um and record your symptoms because they're, they're in um in the the book what the fat which we'll put a link to as well which is by um dr karen zinn and grant schofield um from auckland university and also Craig Rogers, the, the chef who's involved with that book as well. So what what they've listed on top of, um, you know, some of those symptoms which um, Karen Croft identified in her research paper, but they also identified some things that they see which are non-clinical symptoms of insulin resistance. And I just wanted to um, give you an idea of what they are as well because these are things that we... We don't measure, but these are things that you might identify with yourself. Okay. So this is the non-scientific self-checklist, um, which we'll put up on the website and link it to the, the book, What the Fat. Um, so if you have any of these, I've had trouble controlling my weight my whole life. I have a high waist circumference, as we identified, more than, more than 88 centimetres or 80 if you're non-European. Um, I always feel hungry. Why would that be? Because insulin triggers hunger. And um, once again, I'll put a link to a a fascinating discussion between um, the head of diabetic medicine from King's College and uh, Dr. Norman Swan. And they, uh, Norman Swan uh, runs the health report on the ABC radio. And he had a conversation with um, the doctor um, in charge uh, of um, diabetic medicine from King's College and it was an interesting conversation it started off talking about type 1 diabetes but then it got on to insulin and type 2 um, diabetes and really identified that when you look neurologically meaning looking at the brain's response to high levels of insulin mm-hmm. everything you would expect to change in order to drive up hunger changes when insulin is elevated so it's not just that you failed to you know stop your eating but that high levels of insulin so if you're insulin resistant and you produce high levels of insulin then you see these brain changes that drive eating more so it's a top-down effect Um, and so that was a, a very fascinating little discussion around um you know the the brain changes that are seen with high levels of insulin meaning that you're going to you're going to be hungry you're going to want to eat far more frequently than might otherwise be the case so that's another sign okay if you often feel fatigue exhausted or depressed um another non-scientific self-check for insulin resistance um have high blood pressure which is actually a clinical measure that we look at or you have frequent hypoglycemia and what that means hypo meaning lower than normal glycemia meaning blood glucose levels so when you think about 
that insulin test that um, we can do, the glucose tolerance test with insulin. If you've got a high insulin level, a higher than normal insulin level at one or two hours controlling your blood sugar, Mm -hmm. eventually that insulin is going to force your blood sugar down below what it would normally want to be sitting at if it's exceedingly high. And so you would experience that as being ravenously hungry or shaky or feeling lightheaded. Mm-hmm. Um, so this sensation, and, it, and you know, it creates an anxiety as well. So yeah. just going, what on earth is happening? So as this insulin wave catches up with your blood sugars, it potentially... Um, depending on how insulin resistant you are, Mm -hmm. it potentially drives your blood sugar lower than it would normally sit. Um, And that can be very disconcerting for people. Um, And and indeed, I I work with people who, you know, if if I hear of someone having these hypoglycemic um, incidences and they don't have diabetes and they're not using any glucose-lowering medication, then I'm thinking, wow, we've probably got an insulin problem here and it's probably quite a big one Mm. um, because it's causing these um, between-meal lows in blood sugar level because that would be the natural response. If you've got a really high insulin level, eventually it's going to catch up with your blood sugar and it's going to drop it. and force it you know force your blood sugar down so you you will potentially get these symptoms from it so i think that's probably enough um information today i know it's been a bit of an overload but if i had to say anything to summarize this situation what you eat can drive glucose up or or not and it depends on your on your choices so if you've got a quite a high carbohydrate diet might have a lot of sugars in your diet as well then you're probably going to have a lot more glucose which is fine if you're insulin sensitive because your insulin will control that glucose back to that one and a half teaspoons that you kind of need floating around for normal blood sugar if you have become insulin resistant and we're going to explore that a bit like how do I become insulin resistant it's not all about diet Mm -hmm. Um, there are other things other lifestyle factors that can contribute to this if you are insulin resistant then you're probably also hyperinsulinemic and high insulin levels aren't benign that's that's the takeaway message Um, they're not benign if they're high and they're remaining high at a chronic level Mm. Um, and we can you know, potentially do something about that um, yeah. by by changing the way that you fuel your system because right. clearly you're not disposing of glucose at a, in a safe way mm. for your your particular metabolic system. And the features of that, the, the way that you determine whether you are potentially insulin resistant are your metabolic syndrome definition, which indicates insulin resistance. If you've had gestational diabetes, there's a chance. If you have PCOS, you have insulin resistance. If you have type 2 diabetes, you have insulin resistance. If you've been diagnosed with prediabetes, you have insulin resistance. And um, those other features, those non-scientific features that are mentioned in the What the Fat checklist. Um, so trouble with your weight, always hungry, putting on weight abdominally, tired, exhausted, depressed, indicating you're probably not fueling those cells very well Um, your blood pressure is going up and you get you get these frequent hypoglycemic sort of low blood sugar effects that you feel because you're probably not measuring them but you're feeling just 
you know, shaky and not very comfortable between meals, right. um, particularly after a high carbohydrate challenge. So if you have a soft drink and um, you feel that way, you know, a couple of hours, because it does take a couple of hours, that's what in- is indicated in those insulin um, tests when you do your glucose challenge that you're probably not going to see it like at about the third hour, second to third hour after you've done that. Right. If that's about the time frame, then it might be something worth investigating with your GP, your doctor and your health professionals. Okay, so we'll leave it at that today, but we'll get back to this topic of insulin resistance in episode eight, where Kim talks more about the other factors, not just food, that can cause insulin resistance, and they are surprisingly common. Next week, we have our first interviewee, and it's with Marie McEnany from Soul Medicine for Nursing, so stay tuned for that. Thank you to all you listeners out there so far. We are getting close to our 100 listens mark, which we find really exciting. For show notes for this episode, visit dietitiandownunder.com slash insulin resistance. Please leave a review for us if you can, subscribe if you haven't already, and have a great week.